This content is intended for adult cigar smokers age 21 and older. Hello, my friends. Nick Libretti here for JRCigars.com. I uh, hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, um, you know, tough times, but we're going to get through it with good friends, good conversation, and, of course, good cigars. Which brings me to my guest today. Uh, this man is a legend, and not just because he has a great first name and a great beard. This man is one of my favorite manufacturers, one of my favorite cigar industry icons, and just one of my favorite people that I've gotten to know. We are here with the legendary Nick Melillo of Foundation. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. The pleasure is all mine. What a, uh, wow, what an intro. That was great. Yeah. I, it's great to see. It's great to hang out with you. I, mean, I know, man. It's, fun. It's, it's absolute pleasure. It is. We, we always, we have a blast and, uh, you know, make the best of these kind of times and, you know, see how's it going so down there for Good, man. Thank God uh, here in Esteli, um, everything's tranquilo right now. Um, everybody's taking the proper precautions. It's kind of cool to see, you know, people down here have dealt with dengue outbreaks, you know, Zika, yeah. uh, some crazy kind of stuff. So it's cool to see people automatically kind of locking down, um, which is interesting because the government, I don't think, is being as... They're kind of, you know, it was a big uh, month this month with Easter and, you know, it's right. the spring break down here. Um, so I don't know. I haven't been paying too much attention. But from Esteli point of view, it's it's cool. There's not many people on the road and they're they're taking it serious. And, uh, yeah, just got to get through these uh, tough periods here. Well, it's it's interesting that you said it's like, you know, like they've had stuff like this before. So without even like these government mandates or social media, everyone's just like, no, this is just what we have to do. We've done it before. We do this for a few weeks and then we get back to normal. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, the issue and one of the main issues with this uh, with this. Can you hear? Is the sound all right? Yeah, you sound great. OK. All right. Um, is you know, overwhelming the hospitals and uh, things of that nature. You know, here in Nicaragua, that's a tough thing under normal circumstances is having, you know, enough medical equipment, hospitals, the infrastructure. Um, So, so yeah, I think people take things really serious because so many people throughout the years have had elderly or family members who have dealt with maybe a lot of sicknesses that, you know, we deal with more commonly and don't have you know we 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 have access more than i'd say people do down here so um they take it very seriously so uh have you been like like the stores are are all closed restaurants that kind of stuff or is it kind of kind of self-policing at this point oh here in esteli yeah um no everything self-policing pretty much um everything's still kind of open but nobody's really out so Okay. Um, yeah, and there's no official cases right now in Esteli, and I think there's two official cases in the country. So, oh, that's not that bad. And especially if they're going into this kind of lockdown mode, like right away, that should stem the tide a little bit. Yeah, which is going to be interesting to see how this develops with time and reflecting mm-hmm. on it, because a lot of I'm hearing from different people from different parts of the country how bad the flu was for a lot of people. And there's some speculation that people have been dealing with this maybe even before the outbreak. Right. But I can tell you that was the case down here in December and Janu- January. The flu was definitely hitting a lot harder than previous years. Well, we were actually we were no. speaking to John Huber yesterday. 
you know, John of, of Crown Heads. Yeah, of course. And sure. uh, he was saying he, him and his wife got really, really bad flus, like nearly pneumonia, like mid-February, really before there was any like big cases. And he was, he was wondering, he's like, I wonder if I, you know, he's like, I might have freaking had it. He's like, I don't know. He's like, but I went tested. I tested positive for the regular flu. And then he just stayed home. And now he's, you know, back on his feet. But yeah. he was like, he's like, I, I thought I might've had it. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was a before all the announcements and everything, but it was, it was pretty, he's like, it was bedridden flu for like two weeks. So, so it's interesting. Cause I do remember in early January reports of them saying the flu was going to be stronger this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, you know, in a year from now looking back and, you know, see what yeah. people learn because the, the 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 issue seems to be that magic number of not knowing how many people have it that don't have any symptoms and from what i've read you know a lot of these people will have symptoms will will have it and not have symptoms and i guess that you know that's of course is the main concern that those people will then come, come in contact with elderly or people that are already yeah. sick and then, you know, it will and spread. So that's why testing is important. And honestly, those are the people you want to test. You want to test as many people with no symptoms as possible to figure out that number. Listen, if you have, a, if you have a bad cough, assume you have it, stay home or go to the, go to the hospital. Yeah. But if you, if they got testing out to everyone who has no symptoms, we figure out who has it and then they stay home. Then you, yeah. you, you have to do this for a lot less time. So it's really those – like somebody like me, I have no – you know, I'm fine. I feel great. No symptoms of anything. But if I'm a carrier, I'm the problem, not somebody with a really bad cough. No one's going near that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? So It's true. I don't know, man. It's crazy. Uh, I saw that a lot of the factories down there are closing temporarily. Temperature taking. But now Easter week is coming up, so a lot of factories are just going to, you know, take off an extra week, I think, before Easter week and – and right. just to be kind of extend it. Yeah. So, so yeah. Until this passes through. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think uh, Honduras as well. So yeah. it, it's odd to see. I mean, it's, it's really affecting the cigar industry. Now a lot of stores are closing, you know, a lot of them are trying to do these kind of takeout things, but uh, you know, a lot of the Casa's de Monte Cristo stores in various States have had to close. So how, how do you see this affecting the cigar industry? Both, like this, or do you think that we'll get some benefit on the far end? Maybe the FDA gives us a break, or how do yeah, you see I know, I know they're talking to them about this May twentieth date right now. I, I think I saw something quick. I didn't read through the whole thing, but I can't imagine them, you know, working as normal right now. Um, so I, I definitely, of course, hoping for for some FDA relief time. Um, you know, we were fighting that anyway. But this definitely complicates things. Um, you know, we're gonna. Everybody's gonna need time, man, is to right. to adjust, and all the systems, you know, are gonna need to adjust properly um, in order to weather this storm. So, um, yeah, hopefully we get relief there. But you know, I know, you know, cigar smoking is one of those things. things there's so much anxiety. There's so much stress. I mean, it, it's interesting to see. The, the stores that they're closing and keeping open, dispensaries and uh, alcohol. So I know in each county, um, a lot of places were being opened up because we're being seen as, you know, s- similar. S- smoking a cigar. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've been s- smoking cigars, you know, every day, and, but just taking the time to relax 
and enjoy time and, you know, keep your mind from constantly racing because that's, that's when things, you know, get sketchy is your mind can start taking you to the same time. You got to deal with reality and, and, um, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. But I think this is, I think over the next couple of weeks, two, three weeks, I mean, there's never been, uh, something like this, you know, and all these, these measures that are being taken. I mean, this has got to be stomping this thing in its tracks in many aspects. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately we're not going to, we're not going to see that until like two or three weeks. So I was just reading today that Italy, and I know you've, you've, you didn't, you even lived there for a little bit, didn't you? Yeah. Rome yeah. back in the day. They're yeah. Finally, I think yesterday are seeing like the slightest dip in numbers, like and they've been doing this for two weeks, hardcore, like arresting people out on the streets. Um, but I think yesterday they, was the first they announced they had like more recoveries than deaths. They had less deaths than the day before, less confirmed cases than the day before. Um, so it's going to work. It's just, I mean, think about it. Think about it this way. I mean, I've never had the flu in my life, ever. Yeah. Imagine if we did this every time there was flu season. If ever, like, imagine if we tried to avoid. It, it would be. It, it, it should be. You know next few weeks and i'm i'm glad to see a, a lot of the cigar community kind of coming together trying to help each other out um yeah. and i think that, that's what i said when they were first kind of announcing all the you know what's what might be coming down the pipe a couple weeks you know two weeks ago listen if everyone was just cool for three weeks if the irs was cool if your landlord was cool if pse and g was cool everyone was just like chill it wouldn't it would be better because, you know, the, the fear is now, you know, a guy works in a cigar shop. He's not getting paid for three weeks. How's he going to pay rent? Is he going to pay his phone bill? So if everyone's just like, yeah, if everyone's just like, hey, we're good for like three weeks. Get me next time and then we'll work out some kind of plan. Then yeah. a lot of the anxiety would, would go to the wayside. Yeah, um, that's the unknown, man. That's the yeah. one that's the, the that's kicker the all the time. Yeah. So what have you been smoking down there? You got some new test blends you're working on? or uh... I'm, Yeah, I'm working on a bunch of new test blends here. You know, I'm working on the uh, uh, finalizing the Wednesday five-year anniversario, which I started oh. teasing yesterday. Um, so this September is going to be our five-year five when we started shipping Wednesday for the first time. It's been so, that long already, huh? It's crazy, man. I'm looking uh, – yeah, 2015. We launched at the trade show in July of 2015, and then we started shipping uh, mid September 2015. Was that the uh, that was the New Orleans show, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, that was when we we went to. Were you there? Yeah, that was my first trade show. Oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went there. Dion from Illusion Cigars uh, was nice enough to. Let me use part of his booth and Casa Fernandez at the time. And um, that's where I started, man. We made, I ended up going to one of the old, ma- oldest mass makers of the Wawense dance. It was like five generations. Hopefully, we're going to have a little documentary before um, so you can see where the family, and they go back generations of making mass. So I actually had to get the Casa de Cultura, the cultural center in Nicaragua, to sign off to have them shipped to the show. Really? And, uh, yeah, it was kind of – I had three five-foot uh, life-size wood statues of the Wawense, three of the characters from the dance. And then we had, like, about 20 wood masks that we ended up giving out to customers uh, along the trade show. 
but we weren't even listed on the on the list for the trade show as being an exhibitor. We were like one of the last ones that you had to just kinda... come and find you. Exactly. It was like you had to be in the like those secret concerts that people do. Like you got to know somebody to get into it. Man, it was cool that way because it kind of spread amongst the show floor, amongst retailers, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy show for us. I think it's cool to have that kind of slow start where it's like, all right, you start, and then all people know, but by like the third or fourth day of the show, you're crazy busy because that that's more than just like you know regular hype. That's oh no, people have actually been walking around talking, industry people trying samples, and now they want to come back and buy. I think that's really cool. Yeah, that was it was crucial to our start, you know, because at that point, not a lot of people, you know, kind of new foundation at all or kind of my background in the business, um, except for those, you know, those choice retailers that came that year. And um, we've just been building every year since that, which is which has been great. Now, you have the distinction of being one of the few manufacturers that. Every single one of your lines is in my regular rotation. Now, I'm not saying who the hell I am, but I'm just saying, you know, because everyone has, you know, like. like you are Crown a cigar Heads smoker. Makes, Crown Heads makes amazing cigars. They're one of my favorites. Um, but they yeah, have like, a lot of different lines. Stuff. But like a, a lot, you know, so, but some of them, like his, a lot of his state releases, uh, the court reserve, like they're in my regular rotation constantly. Nice. You, everything from, you know, both Charter Oaks. Both tabernacles, both wise men, um, both high clears, uh, but now the Menelik, uh, like just at least at least three times a month, I'm smoking a foundation, like at the minimum. Nice, yeah, man. It's it, that's what makes it right. Is is fortunately guys have taken to the products and have put them into their rotation and. Kind of knowingly, not knowingly, that was kind of the inspiration for the portfolio as a cigar smoker myself, having worked in a shop, is to have a portfolio from blends, mild, medium, fuller, to price points. That is, you get all different types of people that walk through the door. Everybody likes something different. That's the beauty of, you know, this industry and People, people like something different. You might like something totally different. So I tried to, you know, get a good array to hit, you know, if you only had foundation in your humidor and anybody that walks through that door, you're going to be able to find something in their wheelhouse um, that hopefully they'll put into their rotation. And That's a, that's a great, honestly, like a great business plan, a great way to look at it. Um, I was talking a little bit about your brand the other day, and I love, and I actually was writing about it in one of our blogs. The passion you have, obviously, for cigars in general, but you have such passion for everything in your life, and it, that seeps into each of your brands in a different way. So I always say that Nick doesn't make cigars. Nick writes love letters in his cigars. So you have the well, Wednesday is your love letter to Nicaragua. The Charter Oak is your love letter to Connecticut. Tell us a little bit about maybe that. That's exactly what each brand is. And each one of them has have has had a significant impact in either my life or the way I think about life. So Tabernacle. So the story with Tabernacle, is, you know, Connecticut Broadleaf. You know, when I first started smoking cigar, all of my people smoke Connecticut Broadleaf cigars. So my great grandfather's grandfather's. Um, I grew up around Connecticut Broadleaf, and then I grew up learning about the Connecticut River Valley 
and it's important to the cigar world. And I didn't really realize the full impact of that until moving to Nicaragua. You know, it was like one of the first times where it was super cool being from Connecticut because here I am, 24, you know, an Italian kid from Connecticut. And when you say, de donde eres, where are you from? Connecticut. All the Cuban Nicaraguan cigar makers know Connecticut. Um, so this tobacco, you know, in, in broad, Broadleaf in the Valley, that's what the Tabernacle, the original release of the Tabernacle is Broadleaf. So for me, you see my passion for cigars. My humidor was, I, I compare always to like my Tabernacle. You know, this is the resting place of of something that for in my life is is a ceremonial, you know, ex- experience, whether it's leisurely or smoking a cigar with my grandfather. It means a lot to me. So I always compare it kind of like my humidor to the tabernacle, which was the resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Um, so then. You know, it sort of evolved into the imagery on the box. I was reading an old book um, from the 1550s about an Italian traveler that you just happen to have an old book from the 1550s lying around. You know, I was again, a lot of times I'm reading another book and it referenced this book of an Italian map maker, Giolamo Benzoni. It's one of the most unbiased accounts of the new world that I've ever read. So he was a traveler and a map maker. And um, he traveled to Hispaniola via like uh, via Italy, Spain, Canary Islands, and then eventually traveled through Nicaragua and describes tobacco for the first time. Wow. And yeah, in this 1550, you know, 60 years after Columbus hit, tobacco is this. So he says in it, there was only two groups that used and participated in using this this strange plant. And that was the indigenous of Nicaragua and the Ethiopians that the Spanish brought. Um, So I was already on the way of calling calling it the tabernacle. And then the Ethiopian part, the, the king on the box is the last emperor of Ethiopia, known as Haile Selassie. Um. He was born with the name Rastafari, which some people are familiar with. So the Ethiopians actually claim to possess the Ark of the Covenant. So this, yeah. Which, as we know from Indiana Jones, is not true because it's on some island in the Atlantic. (laughs) No, actually, no, it's in the warehouse. It's in the warehouse in D.C., according to Which is interesting because, you know, uh, Indiana Jones is based in Egypt. So the story there is that you know, the Ark was was hidden in Egypt. Now, if you get into real history, it's fascinating because it actually, if you keep going down the Nile River, eventually you'll get to the Nile, the Blue Nile in Ethiopia, which is one of the tributary, uh, I'm sorry, the beginning uh, points of the Nile River. So the legend goes within Ethiopia, that the Queen of Sheba ruled the land of Ethiopia in this area, went to Solomon to seek his knowledge. They had a son named Menelik, which means son of the wise man. And then eventually Menelik was entrusted after Jerusalem was being invaded. They snuck the ark down the river and eventually it was snuck down to the land of his mother where it's been 
kept ever since. Isn't there an so, actual church in Ethiopia that like says they have it or that there's something I thought I saw in a, in a history channel documentary? Yeah. So St. Mary's of Zion is in the north of Ethiopia. It's a, a small church. No one's allowed on it. There is one monk that guards the tabernacle his whole life. He never leaves the premises. And then he appoints another monk and he watches it for the rest. This has been going on, according to Ethiopian legend, for, you know, 3,000 years, which wow. is – and every church in Ethiopia has a replica of the, tap, of the Ark of the Covenant. So this is one of the only places on earth that, as a cultural custom within their churches, all of them have a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. Is Ethiopia a majority Christian nation? Yeah, majority, and um, then you also have um, Islam, and then you also have, um, they call themselves the Beta Israel, the Falasha Jews. Um, oh, okay. So you have tribes of Jewish people that are practicing um, Torah, uh, early Jewish customs in Ethiopia. Have you seen a lot of the history channels or a lot of these different channels? They're all like, you know, how did these people get here and how are they, you know, practicing Judaism? And the story of the Ethiopians is they came with Menelik when he came back with the Ark. It's which, really cool. It's, it's mind blowing when you try. I know my, my dad yeah. had a friend that he worked with who was from Syria. And my dad's like, oh, so you're, you're, you know, you uh, uh, Muslim. And he's like, oh, no, they're, they're from like his family is like from the oldest catholic sect in the world that was basically from the beginnings of christianity and i can't remember the, the actual name of the group um, that that's that that's it's, what it's blew insane. my mind man yeah. yeah this started for me around like 18 learning about this stuff right like that's why it's it has such an important part in my life because when i learned when i was 18 all i knew about ethiopian ethiopian history was starvation and we are the world and that's, that's because the communists in 1974 took over and started decimating the population and any remnants of the crown. So from 1974 on is kind of what people know about Ethiopia. From 1974, 3,000 years back, you have a lineage of queens and kings in the heart of Africa that go back to the time of Solomon and Sheba. So what, what's the current government situation in Ethiopia? Is it still a communist nation? So, you know, so I'm learning a lot more. And I don't know, recently I had one of the biggest honors of my life. I saw, I that's in, what I was going to bring up. Yeah. I saw you did something. Yeah, I was invited to um, by the Ethiopian Crown Council, which is in exile because of 1974 when the communists took over. Um, and I was invited to a... Uh, a dinner, a private dinner with just some amazing, with uh, Haile Selassie's grandson, which was, was you know, the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, I love, you know, Marley's or any favorite. To me, that's like the ultimate is just meeting somebody from from his family and being able to talk to people and and learn more. I'm learning right now more about modern. Ethiopia, because I've, I've, I'm always kind of into the history and ancient history. But from what I know, the prime minister has uh, stopped a war between 
Um, he just got the Nobel Peace Prize Award because the neighboring country, Eritrea, which at one point was Ethiopia. Um, unfortunately, our ancestors, the Italians, did a lot of damage in that area. Yeah, and, we didn't do uh, a lot of good in, in Africa. <laughs> Mussolini was, you know, he was a nut. He was an absolute nut and uh, did a lot of damage in the 1935. He tried to invade Somalia. Yeah. Ethiopia was the only independent African country never to be colon, uh, colonized um, in Africa, which is interesting. Wow. So so this war stopped recently. Um, over 20 years, there was like 80,000 people that had died. And um, it, thank God, came to an end. But you have a lot of, I think, interesting things ha happening. China is is getting involved in there. The Middle East is trying to have their influence. We used to be, the USA, a huge ally because before 1974, the King Selassie was very close to the United States, um, very close to Kennedy, all the way going back to FDR. Um, I think because of Vietnam and all that stuff in the early 70s, in 1974, you know, the Russians moved in, would help right. some of the Cuban Cuban Communist Party, and we really didn't uh, – we weren't able to do anything at that time. But um, hopefully now that the communists were killing, um, taking everybody's land, you know, the whole story. So they were scattered um, throughout. Washington, D.C. has the probably the most uh, Ethiopian population in in the in the United really? States or maybe the world, the yeah, world, yeah. world family. You said they're exiled. Do they do they live DC, in the US? DC, DC, yeah, DC, yeah. That's a, that's amazing. So, yeah, that's a whole so story the, you got there, Nick. It's a really crazy story. It's a whole story, yeah. And I, you know, I say to guys, they can take it. You know, I I don't really get into the whole story all the time. I, you know, because I want to also stay focused on you know, the cigar and the blend and, but there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of depth to each one of these brands. Um, and you know, it's cool to be able to talk about it, but a lot of times, as you can tell, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit heavy to maybe yeah, get into. I, uh, I love it though. That's, that's what I, yeah, listen, you're you, a can history make, guy. you can make a fantastic blend in your sleep. So I don't yeah. like that's, that's neither here nor there for me. It's going to be a great cigar, but I yeah. love talking to you about the reasoning behind each one. Um, because, you know, you have so many things now that just slap a name on it and it's the whatever series or whatever anniversary, like nothing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's why I, I love a, I love a culture rich cigar company. There's so many guys are creating top blends right now. And I know exactly what I'm looking for in a cigar blend. So you got to kind of look for, all right, well, what else do they have going on? And a good story, like a meaningful story, not something just made. Oh, we found this tobacco. We aged it for 30 years and now it's the best thing. Like, I don't want to hear yeah. that. I want to hear a 20-minute dissertation on the cultural differences and the cultural change of the people of Ethiopia. That's exactly what I want to hear nice, why nice. you named it that way. So let's you know, move on now to the – Yeah. No, I was just going to say it's been cool for me to have – you know, I was never for so many years on the marketing, branding, right. you know, side of the cigar business. It's production, blends, that side. So now to be able to – you know, for so many years being into history, being into, you know, culture to now complement these blends. You know, here I work so hard on the blends and, and just so passionate about the tobacco. So then to complement that with brands and artwork 
that I think is worthy of complimenting the blends is has been a lot of fun. So I think it, I think it's awesome. That again, it's one reasons why you're in my rotation, Nick. And it's hard to get in that rotation. I'll tell you that. So let's move on to the next kind of historical, you know, legacy. I want to call it like a, a legacy brand for you. I feel like it's different than like a typical legacy or, or heritage brand. I want to talk about um, High Clear Castle. So obviously, yeah. to, to, to the naked eye, there's a lot of history uh, with High Clear Castle. Just from, even if you just know the show, Downton Abbey, like you realize that, you know, English monarchy and, and barons and dukes and duchesses. But again, I want to know how this kind of connected to you. What made you get involved? Was there uh, something that you were seeking out or was it kind of brought to you? How did that work out with, with the original High Clear? Like a lot of things, things just sort of happen sometimes and mm-hmm. fall into place. So um, a f- good friend of mine, Adam Von Gutkin, who is the uh, CEO of High Clear Castle Gin and partners with me on the cigar side of things, I was introduced introduced to him by a cigar shop called Mickey Blake's in Southern, uh, Southington, Connecticut. So we both were friends with this cigar store owner, Lou Rodriguez from Mickey Blake's. And Lou was just like, you two need to meet. I don't know what it is, but you two need to meet. So he ended up introducing us. And then over a couple, two, three years, we became really good friends. And then he started telling me about this gin project that he was working on, that it was still some time away from being launched, that they were really doing it right. Uh, they were bringing on a, um, an amazing team and how he had met Lord Carnarvon, the godson to the queen of England who lives in Highclere castle. And they developed a friendship and that they were planning on coming out with a gin as they were talking one day in a meeting, cigars randomly came up. And, of course, my buddy, the first thing he thinks is, hey, you got to meet Nick. He lives in Nicaragua. He's an amazing cigar blender. He's got a new company. I mean, right. it's just a part of it. And if you see, I think, the first episode of Downton Abbey, it ends after dinner with everybody, you know, the guys going and having a cigar. That's what you did. So things were kind of hectic. I couldn't get to England. Lord Carnarvon ends up flying to Nicaragua with Adam and they meet with me down here and I get to bring them through seed to cigar. And, you know, Lord Carnarvon, you know, Nick, I I think you kind of know me. Money doesn't really impress me too much. Um, You know, of course, money, money is necessary, but I want to surround myself around good people and people that are going to make me better. So I was, you know, I was, of course, out to check it out. But um, if it wasn't for him, Lord Carnarvon being so amazing and uh, down to earth. And, of course, he's got a different, uh, you know, coming from England, different culture, different humor, personality. But you're talking about a gentleman that Greyhound bust around the United States when he was 18. Um, He's a farmer. He's. You know, he's he's really just down to earth. And, you know, they've been doing a lot to keep. There's not a lot of active castles around, you know. Right. So I think coming into the 2000s, you know, Downton Abbey really contributed to helping keeping the estate going. And, um, 
you know, having some an active working 5,000 acre estate. So, um, yeah, just really, really great, great guy. We hit it off and I uh, started working on some blends. And then the three of us really just sat down and did some blind te- testing. And we all decided on the same blend and uh, started High Clear Castle, the the blue label, which is the Connecticut Shaded Wardian. And then recently we just launched the Victorian, which is uh, really like a Colorado Maduro. So it's not like an Oscuro Oscuro. It's a higher priming Habano Ecuador wrapper, a little bit fuller, a little bit more body, um, but still a very elegant, smooth. I put it right in that medium, medium plus, plus range. So that actually brings me to a, a, a more tobacco-based follow-up question. Um, I had texted you the other day, a couple of weeks ago, about we're trying to get you know our website information you know all aligned, and we're trying to get rid of a lot of the confusion. Um, I ended up write, actually writing a blog, and me and Greg did a podcast on this. Do you think it's necessary for, for in terms of marketing for the customer now, not for, you know for me and you, or when you're working on a blend? for the customer to talk about wrapper shades the way we used to EMS, Colorado, uh, you know, Colorado Oscuro, you know, these kind of things. Rosat, do you think it's necessary that like, you know, I have a section where I just feel like a a lot of the meanings have drastically changed. First of all, EMS, I don't even know from the market selection. Yeah, but from the history of it, I don't know like what color that's supposed to be talking about. Because EMS to me it was just as a designation of quality. It was this is good enough to go over there to go to England. Right, and, right, 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 right. So that's and I feel like the cigar consumer today is so much more well informed that by telling them it's Connecticut Broadleaf or it's Mexican San Andreas or telling them it's Ecuadorian Habano, that's what they want to hear. I feel like. The shade was more for old timers who didn't know the ins and outs, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's Colorado, so it's going to be dark." Or, or this, I feel like it's just confusing people now. Because I was confused when you said, "Oh, that's a Maduro," I'm like, "Oh, but Ecuadorian Habano's on a Maduro," and then I'm like, "No, he's using Maduro in the shade color and not Maduro in the how everyone else talks about Maduro." Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that you're saying this because sometimes when you do do start getting more and more information, things can get even more confusing, and then there's more room for interpretation to confusing a lot of these things. Um, you know, I think awareness in, in education is always good at the same time, but then in this industry, it's interesting because someone might have a completely different opinion than me in the cigars or even the manufacturing side. So, you know, everybody, that's kind of how I learned originally is uh, you go to this guy and he'd say, this is how you do it. He'd say, that guy's full of shit. Then you go to the full of shit guy. He said, no, this is the way you do it. That guy's full of shit. So I started, uh, you know, learning from there. So when it comes to Maduro or shades of color of wrappers, which doesn't doesn't mean the country of origin or what it is. We're strictly calling it color. Typically, you have uh, claro, mm-hmm. right? Claro would be the lightest. So that right. would be a Connecticut shade. 
maybe a light Ecuadorian, an Ecuadorian Sumatra, something like that, right? Then you have a, I would say, uh, Colorado, which is See, more but there's a, also there's a there's a Colorado Claro. What the course. hell is that? Of course, let me tell you. Yeah, there used to be brands <laughs> that used to have all of these different shades, like Topstone Cigars from Connecticut. That's an old brand. Uh, Topstone Cigars. They would have all of those: Colorado Claro, Claro, Colorado Maduro, Colorado. And then some guys wouldn't even buy if it's off a shade or, or right. you know, even if you should see going into tobacco sorting, the Indonesian tobacco in these, the Dutch, you can't even tell it that they have like a thousand shade variations. It's so um, confusing. It's really confusing. But you typically have that Claro, um, Colorado, Maduro, and then Oscuro. Between those, you then can have Colorado Maduro, Colorado Claro. There are shades in, in between between that. And I don't know if Rosado, I'm confusing things more. I'm told that Rosado also has like that kind of reddish, like pinkish hue. So that's is what Rosado is. Yeah, that's what Rosado is. I mean, it's it's red. Uh, Rosado wrappers. You don't, in my opinion, you don't. I don't see a lot of them that are really you know display that. That redness, um, right. I see it in the, the Cuban seed I use from Connecticut early on, but then it gets super dark after fermentation. It gets to be a Maduro Oscuro. Uh, so really, if you could go through your brands and tell us what you would classify from Wawense on, like what you would say that that wrapper shade is. Wawense, uh, which is a um, Corojo wrapper from, from Jalapa, Colorado. Okay, well, wise man Maduro. Well, when say Maduro, Maduro. Yeah. Okay, um, Tabernacle. I would say would be Maduro Oscuro. You're going to get shade variants right. between those because that it's a natural process. You're going to get some lighter, some darker. Um, exactly. So the Havana seed uh, Tabernacle, the 142. I would say Colorado Maduro at times, Maduro. Mm. Okay, um, Charterow, <laughs> Connecticut, Claro, Claro, yeah, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut Shade, right? Charterow, Maduro, Maduro, and then High Claire. So High Claire, Connecticut, of course, Claro, but the Victorian, <laughs> even to confuse it, I say at times Cafe Maduro. Really? Because it's not really Maduro, you know, at times you're going to get more of that Maduro, but sometimes you're going to get that coffee kind of yeah. cafe color. Yeah. I like it, though. Yeah, make it more confusing for no. me. They can appreciate it. Trying, trying. <laughs> um, so your recent releases this uh, this past year, we had uh, obviously the, the very delicious High Clear Castle Victoria. Uh, Victorian, you made the Menelik, uh, a regular product release. Um, yeah. And then there's also been some images and some, you know, Going around on Instagram of a uh, a more candela-ish cigar that I've been seeing. That's some of the, some event cigar you got going on. Yeah, so I made an event cigar called the Grasshopper, which is a five pack, um, uh, five and a quarter by fifty two soft uh, soft box press torpedoes. There's two San Andreas Maduros in there. Um, there's two candelas, and then there's one barber pole. So. You know, 
doing events, a lot of times I just like to have something special for those that are buying boxes instead of getting, you know, usually at events we'll do, you know, you get some sort of deal and you might include some, you know, more boxes. So originally my Menelik was sporting us um, throughout our whole portfolio. Um, So that's Menelik. So um, going book and I ended up finding that book online um, ordered it and is, I love old books. I'm kind of a dork <laughs> that way. Um, so I got the book and I started reading it. And for the first time in my, my, my career in smoking cigars and working in the industry, I heard an explanation of the etymology of the word cigar that I never had heard before, which basically was saying that the Spanish aristocrats at the time had little gardens of exotic plants it was sort of like you know don't come check out my 60 inch flat screen tv it's like you entertaining check out my exotic plants from fiji and this and that so at the time of course the americas was huge and tobacco was this new plant that nobody had seen before so the gardens within these spanish aristocrats were were called cigarels c-i-g-a-r-r-e-l that's what the gardens were called. Now, if you look into that word, that word actually means where the grasshoppers are thickest. That's what there's the a word for are. that. There's a word yes. for where the grasshoppers are thickest. Yes, that was the that was what a garden was because that's where the grasshoppers were thickest within the gardens of these aristocrats. So I read this, and it was just you know, mind-blowing because I have never heard, you know, I've always heard about the Tainos, Cicar, yeah, the, the Cuban, the Cuban natives, and, yeah. yeah, and stuff like But this was the first time I read um, that ever. So I thought it would uh, be a great idea to call that uh, new event cigar Grasshopper for all those, you know, hardcore guys. I thought you really needed it after the, what was that show with David Carradine, Kung Fu? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call it, yeah. yeah, grasshopper. Grasshopper, you um, must listen. So uh, we got a few questions from some uh, some people. Before that, I have one final question from me. Um, you were talking a little bit about earlier um, your fifth anniversary with Wednesday Blend. Yes, that you're working on. Any details you can give us on that, or you know, uh, re- release date kind of thing? Is it an IP? Well, not that I don't know if there's going to be a PCA in July, but you know, yeah. kind of a, a timetable on that. So most likely I'm in the process of finalizing, you know, the blends I have pretty much where I'm at. Um, so you're probably going to look August, September, most likely. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try to, you know, September is the true anniversary of when we started shipping. So the latest it would be, would be September 1st. So it's going to be a pretty special one size Special pack. It, this is going to be along the li- the lines of Wawense, the original release, which was a hundred percent Nicaraguan filler binder wrapper. So, um, yeah, the art. We, I gave a little teaser yesterday on my my IG. Of, uh, yeah. So we've been well, working on uh, some animations you, here. So if you need someone to you know step up and help you with some test blends, Nick. I mean, I. I I would sacrifice my time for that, 100%. You know, you're, you're, you're a man among mere mortals, man. Uh, I mean, I try. I try to walk above. 
what I do. Um, uh, so I believe, we have, I believe we have Greg, uh, who's non-visual right now, just on audio. Greg, you have some questions for Mr. Melillo. I do, Nick. Uh, Nick, uh, I'm just going to tell everybody out there, if uh, you started listening to this halfway through, that it will be posted later so they can keep up with you. Because I'm telling you, I, I, stopped cool. pay, I stopped paying attention for 30 seconds and I was completely lost. <laughs> so. we had you at yeah. ethiopia <laughs> yeah well actually i have a question but there is a question out there on that one so but uh i'm gonna start with okay. the uh, instagram questions first because uh that's where we started off but um the first question is if you can smoke uh if you you can smoke for the rest of your life but only two cigars which choose what two are you choosing Woof. Woof. Lord have mercy. I, you know, my tabernacle, Broadleaf Toro, um, I would have to choose that one. And then, man, I would probably say actually the High Clare Victorian also. You know, because it's, I definitely like a fuller bodied smoke, but, you know, the Victorian would be good for me based on my taste, more of a morning time, afternoon. And then, tabernacle after a nice meal good bourbon good scotch ain't nothing better speaking my language nice. what are you actually smoking are you allowed to talk about what you're smoking i can't really talk about this one right now but this one i've been smoking um i've definitely been playing around with some perfectos I, i'll leave it at that oh um I guess it kind of answered the question before, but uh, Maduro or natural? You know, again, it, it depends on the time of day or kind of what I'm in the mood for. I mean, I'll go, I'll go weeks maybe when I'm just smoking Wawense, natural. And then, you know, I'll smoke Maduro's all the time. Like all I've been smoking is, is Maduro's for the past uh, couple of weeks. But you know, I, I kind of switch. It depends on what my mood is in, but I can go in and out of both. What's Greg, really quick before you it. ask the next one. I'm sorry to interrupt. No. Really quick. When you say, because like, like, the gentleman asked, and this was, I should have brought this up when we were talking about the shades. Do you feel that natural is a shade or is natural just a connotation when whenever there's two versions and one of them is a Maduro, the other one is just natural? Natural, when I think of natural, I'm thinking of shade shaved uh I'm, I'm thinking of color of the wrapper yeah is that it, your question? yeah no. but I, I always find like i i only call something natural when there's another version of that cigar that is a maduro so when well when say gotcha, first came natural out, version yeah gotcha. i wouldn't i wouldn't have said oh it's natural what's the nicaraguan piro uses corojo wrapper right and wise man maduro came out like oh that's the one say natural that's the one say maduro that's the easy way to do it you yeah know i'm mean? an easy guy yeah, I'm pretty easy. But that, but again, like I usually take it from that point. Like, if someone right. wants more information and wants to get more detailed, I'll you go it for me. it. A lot of times, like at the shops or where you're doing, you know, um, events or selling, you keep it kind of simple unless, yeah, some keep people want to get more into it. Well, thank you for answering my question, Greg. You can continue now. <laughs> thank you, Nick and Nick. What's uh, what's your favorite <laughs> Cuban cigar? Woo. You know, I, I tend, I have, I don't smoke enough, you know what I mean? To actually give a good opinion. I can tell you, I definitely lean towards Bolivar's. Um, 
the bellicoso finos mm-hmm. um i tend to lean towards maybe some of this romeos um yeah so short i'm definitely uh yeah short chill Ch- churchill from time to time um what else part of your series about it you know, I like a part of a Series D. I, you know, I never, I'll never refuse a Cohiba. Um, you know, um, I, I Cubans again. They, yeah, they, they, they just don't. Having been accustomed so much to smoking Nicaraguan, you know, cigars and the flavor. This, again, what makes Nicaragua so amazing is the land here and how the plant grows it's just one of the most diverse plants from the lower primings to upper primings of strength and just flavor um so a lot of times the cubans unless i'm in the mood for them are a little bit definitely on the lighter side but sometimes they lack that depth or complexity that uh and quality control i come from quality control you know what i mean like that's my whole mission is quality control so to see people that smoke Cubans and they get three, four, five sticks a box that, you know, are just not smokable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had an experience with a guy that owned a bunch of Havano's SA shops. It was down here in Nicaragua. We had a mutual friend. You know, he sells Cubans, of course, being Havano's SA shop. Yeah. Had these beautiful Cohiba torpedoes and these silver tubes. I mean, the packaging was just unbelievable. And, you know, he was telling me they sell for like 70 bucks where, where he, he lives. And he gave me two and we're sitting down having drinks before dinner. Clip it. Light it up. It's something I never experienced before. You ever have a, a straw with a hole in it? Yep. That's what it was like. It's and there was no draw. And I felt embarrassed. You know what I mean? Because here is the game. And then I'm saying, I was like, why am I embarrassed? Like, <laughs> this is, you know, these guys need to know this. And, you know, yeah. So, I, although it's I like them, I just, I, I haven't smoked enough Cubans to really, you know, understand fully, you know, where the tobacco's at and where the quality's at. But, yeah. yeah. Understandable. So, what was the uh, first cigar that you ever smoked? So officially, I would say Opus X number two torpedo was with my brother and my grandfather. That was the first cigar you ever smoked? Officially. Oh, get the hell out of here. You know, we got to deal with all this FDA business. So. No, I understand that. Uh, yeah. There wasn't another brand. There wasn't a, like a smaller brand. So, uh, so no, at that time, you know, it was Connecticut Broadleaf was um, one of the first ones I smoked. But then, so I went... Broad, you know, Connecticut Broadleaf. I was smoking at that time, you know, Romeos, which were unbelievable, Macanudo, which were still being made in Kingston, Jamaica, Royal Jamaica um, at that time. But Opus X was like, you know, that was like when it was first hit and, you know, early on. And that yeah. torpedo was just like, it was cedar. It was, you know, spice. It was you know, a little bit of nougat. It was, I mean, it was just out of this world. Um, so me, my grandfather and my brother were just like, that was our special smoke. It wasn't like I was smoking them every day. It was like Christmas time, 
you know, that was, we go out into the little, the little smoke shack that my dad had built and, uh, you know, enjoy an Opus number two torpedo. Then I smoked a lot of Padrones, you know, a lot of that stuff, but Connecticut Broadleaf would be the answer. The first one. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite, uh, ring gauge size? Man, tip. So for so many years, I was always a six by 52 Toro smoker. Like that was my size. Cause I felt like, you know, the length, the ring gauge, it was a really good size. And that's the size I used when I start all my blends, you know, whenever I'm testing blends, creating blends six by 52. And that was because since 96, like that was just always my size. Um, as time has gone on, I've definitely gotten more into Corona's, 46 ring gauges. I don't really get into anything really above a 52 personally, uh, cause it's just not my thing, but I'm definitely, um, definitely a Corona lover too, but I like a nice Churchill from time to time. Some of those classic sizes that people overlook, like, you know, some of the sleepers in my line. Yeah. Seven by 48, the Wawense in the seven by 48 and the wise man Maduro in the seven. I mean, that cigar, even the high clear in seven by forty eight. You know, you got a nice distance. It's cooling. Um, you know, nice long smoke. Elegant. If you got the time. You know, and then double corona, man. I can't, I don't always smoke double corona, but you know, I started looking at our double coronas in the tabernacle. You know, typically you sell Toros Robustos as the biggest seller. Those double coronas in the tabernacle. We sell as many as those as we do, like Toro and Robusto, and it's just flavor for days, man. It just, just, just keeps just, going. Just glowing right now. Glowing. Just glowing. Um, where does the wrapper on the uh, Connecticut 142 come for come from? Comes from the Connecticut. Yeah, I'm gonna guess. Oh, I was gonna guess it's Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, no, it comes right. So the Connecticut. The Cuban seed was brought to Connecticut in the 1870s, from what I've uh, learned. There's potential it came even before that, but there's records in the 1870s of the Department of Agriculture uh, growing that seed in Connecticut. Um, so that was one of the, you know, the wrappers that was grown there, that and broadleaf. Um, that was even before Connecticut shade was even developed. And um, over the time... You know, unfortunately, that seed sometimes is susceptible to black shank in the fields. So one of the ways for the experiment station in Connecticut, the seed banks, of course, and down here is to work with the seed to hybridize them, to make them stronger and more resistant to diseases. So you don't have to, you know, um, fumigate as much. So that's where that 142 seed comes from. It was sort of developed to be more resistant against black shank in the field. And what that does is it makes the, the plant stronger, hardier, thicker leaves, oilier. I mean, just overall, it's a stronger, stronger plant. And I think that that comes through in the flavor because that stuff's unbelievable. Greg, I think we have time for one more question. Hmm. Let me scroll then. Scroll, scroll. Oh, someone asked if there's any Ethiop Ethiopian tobaccos. 
You know, I know they grow, um, but I think it's more for the uh, cigarette uh, style um, market. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to get in there. When it, you know, when you get into cigar tobaccos, black tobaccos, it's all about knowledge and know-how. So that's where things become different because you have to, you know, set up and get the education in there, the curing barns. Uh, so it's a little bit more intense, I would say a lot more than, say, just growing cigarette grade style tobaccos, um, which are just cured within a week and, you know, chopped up. And so hopefully that should be your day. next project. That should be your next. Pro- you, you, you can be the new Cameroon Ethiopian you know, rapper. That would be do it. That would be that would be cool. Like if one person could do it, I believe it's you, my friend. Uh, I appreciate listen. that. I can't thank you enough for joining us today. This has been awesome. Uh, this is a great conversation, as always. Um, hopefully, uh, some entertainment for our, our folks out there. A lot to look forward to coming from Foundation, um, you know, in a few months. But, Nick, thanks again. Oh. Keep your head down down there, my friend. Uh, God bless you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Really appreciate we're st- it. We're still shipping, so if you need them, you go to, yes, go to your boys over there at JR and uh, – for all your foundation, your foundation needs. cigars. Be yes, safe, sir. everybody. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you.